As we pick things up, we're in the middle of the fallout of the infamous golden calf incident. The Lord offered to wipe out Israel and restart the plan through Moses and his family. But Moses loved the people that God had given him to lead so much that he pleaded with the Lord on Israel's behalf. He interceded for Israel, and the Lord granted Moses' request. Israel had to deal with a plague sent by God as one of the consequences of their rebellion. And at the end of the previous chapter, at the end of Exodus 32, we learned of another consequence. God would send an angel to guide Israel through the wilderness to the promised land, but his presence would no longer go with them. Let's pick things up at that place in Exodus chapter 33. We'll dive in at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your descendants I will give it. And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume. That means literally lest I destroy you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked, you're a stubborn people. God says what Israel has done is so egregious, it's so awful, that if my presence comes among Israel, I'll have no choice but to destroy everyone because Israel's wickedness is so extreme. My presence simply cannot be around it. Now, if you've been around the Old Testament for a while, you'll know that whenever the text refers to the angel of the Lord, it's talking about Jesus. Now, even though many of your Bibles will capitalize the A of angel in this verse, it's a bit of a mistranslation because this angel is not Jesus. In fact, the original language renders it an angel rather than my angel. Ditto for Exodus 32, 34. We know this because if it were Jesus, then God's presence would still be going with Israel, right? But from what God himself says and from the reaction of the people, it's clear that this angel is not Jesus. He's not God. The people of Israel know this, which is why they respond like this in verse 4. And when the people heard this bad news, it wouldn't be bad news if the news was that Jesus was going with them. When they heard this bad news, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments, take off your jewelry, that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. The most likely explanation for this command regarding jewelry is that God was saying, you should be in a state of mourning and grieving over your sin. 
Nobody should be getting dressed up nice and going about business as normal. And that leads us into our first fill-in on your outline. What we're seeing here is the reality that God's holiness cannot coexist with sinful rebellion. God's holiness, his presence, cannot coexist with sinful rebellion. To be more specific, God's holiness cannot coexist with our sinful rebellion. Because if you haven't picked up on it yet, we are the Israelites in this story. Yeah, it's us. Isaiah 53, 6 declares the truth. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Every one of us was born a sinner. Every one of us rejected Jesus in our own way. And every one of us who is a believer has sinned in egregious ways even long after we understood the seriousness of our sin. It's a serious problem for every person that God's holiness cannot coexist with our sinful rebellion. How serious of a problem? Serious enough that Jesus, the only begotten Son of the Father, came to earth as a man to solve it, because we couldn't. And it cost him his body and blood and life. Jesus was our mediator. He bridged the gap between us and God at the expense of his life. And to telegraph where we're going, Moses is going to step into that role for Israel. But if you're not a Christian, you need to know this. You have an appointment coming up that you cannot avoid. A day is coming when you will stand before God and you do not want to stand before him as a rebellious sinner. You need a mediator. You need a mediator. And the only one who can fill that role is Jesus. Let's read together in verse 7. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. So just understand that the, the actual tabernacle has not yet been constructed in our chronology. They've received all the instructions on how to build it, but they haven't actually built it yet. Moses says, I want to meet with the Lord, and I know where the Lord isn't. I know where he's not going to be right now. He's not going to be among the camp of Israel, so I better move my tent far from the camp if I want to meet with the Lord. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle, that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man did not depart from the tabernacle. 
There's a lot here we could talk about, but I want to highlight four different people and four different groups in these verses. So we read about Moses. He wanted to speak with the Lord, commune with the Lord, and Moses understood that in order to do that, he needed to get away from the sin of the camp of Israel. This is a reminder that for us, even under the new covenant, there's a connection between experiencing God's presence and holiness, taking sin seriously. Would you write this down? There's a connection between experiencing God's presence and walking in holiness. And when I talk about experiencing God's presence, I'm talking about feeling that real sense that he's near you, having an almost tangible encounter with God where you can sense his presence. There's a connection between that and walking in holiness. Yes, we're covered by the blood of Jesus. Yes, our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. Yes, we're going to heaven if we've placed our faith in Jesus. But that does not entitle us to live however we please and expect God to bless us with his presence in our daily lives. If a man were blessed with the most faithful and committed wife in the world, he would still be a fool to think he could treat her like garbage and still expect to enjoy a wonderful friendship with her. If you're a believer, the Lord is with you. But if you want the experience of his presence in your daily life, then you need to take holiness seriously. If you're watching this today and you'd say, man, I just don't experience God's presence like other Christians seem to, let me just ask you, are you taking holiness seriously? Or is there sin in your life that that you're not fighting anymore? You're just enjoying it and, and allowing it to be at home in your life. Don't be fooled. There's a connection between holiness and experiencing God's presence in your life. The next group we see are the Israelites who who saw what Moses was doing and said, I need to be as close to God's presence as I can. And so they got up and they made the journey with Moses. They walked with him far from the camp in order to be closer to God's presence. And their actions are more notable because of how they contrast to the rest of Israel who stood in their doorways and watched as Moses left the camp and then worshiped at their own tents. These were the Israelites who didn't want to be on God's bad side. They had enough sense to say, well, let's not test the Lord any further. They're like people today who want to make sure that they get into heaven, but they don't love the Lord. They don't love the Lord. They don't love his presence. There's no passion for the Lord. And it's interesting to me that a very, very similar scenario is playing itself right now out in many, many different churches due to COVID-19. Believers are being faced with choices like going to church at an inconvenient location, outside, where it's probably always going to be too hot or too cold, where the chairs are uncomfortable, where the sound probably isn't great and the floor might sometimes be muddy, or staying at home at their own tent in their PJs or sweatpants where there are snacks and you can watch the service online in the comfort of your living room. There's no question which choice is easier, more comfortable, and more convenient 
But those who show up for services in person do so because they want to be as close to the presence of God as they can. They want to be where the people of God are, where God is moving among his people, where the worshipers are. They want to be where the Spirit is moving. I know some people are in situations where they can't physically join us, but if you can, do it. Do it. I know COVID is, is wearing us all down. I know we're all tired, but, but church, my exhortation to you is the same as it's always been. Be zealous for the Lord. Be zealous for the Lord. The zeal I'm talking about is the difference between knowing about God and actually knowing God. In a church like ours who, who loves the word, this is always a danger. We can break down, exegete, and dig into the text. We can memorize the scriptures. We can learn all the answers. We can listen to tons of messages, watch videos, and read books about the Bible, all without ever actually entering in and experiencing God's presence. We can just stay at our own tent and say, I know all about God's presence. I've studied it extensively. Be zealous for the presence of the Lord. The invitation is not simply to know about him. The invitation is to know him. And then lastly, we see the ultimate example of zeal for the presence of God. Joshua loved the presence of God so much that he simply didn't leave. He didn't leave. I love that about Joshua, and most of us miss this little detail in Scripture and in life. Before Joshua was the mighty warrior who led Israel through the promised land and had a book of the Bible named after him, he was a man who loved the presence of the Lord so much that he stayed in it as long as he possibly could. That's who Joshua was first. And men especially, we need to hear this. Man, man, I need to hear this. Great men, great men, great husbands, great fathers, great leaders are formed in the presence of God. Jesus told us this when in John 15, he said, guys, listen, if you just focus on abiding in me, staying close to me, you'll be a fruitful person. And apart from me, you can't do anything. Write this down. Truly great men and women are formed in the presence of God. They're formed in the presence of God. When I look at these four men and groups of people, I'm reminded of a simple truth. Every single one of us is as close to God as we want to be. Every one of us is as close to God as we want to be. Every man had the choice to stay at their tent or make the journey with Moses far from the camp. Those who made the journey experienced more of God's presence. And Joshua experienced even more because he stayed as long as he could. Every one of us is as close to God as we want to be. Spend some time thinking about that further this week. Verse 12, then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. 
Yet you've said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. So Moses says, you're leaving me to lead these people without you, without your presence, and you think some random angel is going to suffice in your place? How can you possibly claim that I found grace in your sight if you're going to leave me? Verse 13, now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, Show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. God, there's only one way that I'm leading your people, and that's with you, with your presence, because they're your people. They're your people. Verse 14, and he, that's God, said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. In the original text and language, the phrase with you is not included, and you should actually cross it out in your Bible. So what God actually says is, my presence will go, and I will give you rest. And I believe this translation is correct based on the response we're going to see from Moses in the next two verses. When God refers to you there, when he says, I'll give you rest, he's referring to Israel collectively, not just Moses. We know this from multiple other scriptural references to you when the promise of rest in the land is being given by God. So to summarize all these these little academic points, God is saying here, I'm going to give Israel the promised land, Moses, because I promised I would. I'll get you there. I'll give you the land, but my presence is not going to dwell with Israel anymore. It's not going to be among Israel anymore. So what God does by saying this is, is he throws out the question, the question behind the statement. Is it really me that you want, Moses, Israel? Is it really me that you want, or is it what I can do for you that you want? Is it freedom and prosperity that you really want, and I'm just the ticket you need to hold for a while to get those things? And you kind of get the feeling that most of Israel would have said, well, as long as you crush our enemies and give us the promised land and bless our lives in material ways, we're kind of fine whether your presence is with us or not. You see, God is asking, he's asking Moses and Israel, is it the prosperity gospel that you want? Or is it me? Is it me? Verse 15, then he, that's Moses, said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. This is why Moses was such a great man. This is why God loved him so much. Moses says, Lord, listen, if your presence isn't going to go with us, then just let us die right here at Mount Sinai. Because without you, it's all meaningless. Who cares if we make it to the promised land? If we don't have you, life is pointless. We don't care about being a a free people or a prosperous people. We care about being your people. When God looked at Israel, he saw a people who thought they didn't need him a people who thought he could be replaced by an idol of a golden calf. But but when God looked at Moses, he saw a man who was incredulous 
at the suggestion that he and Israel could go on without the Lord's presence. And man, that just blessed the heart of God. I just love Moses' heart here so much because he asks rhetorically, for how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? In other words, Moses says, how will the rest of the world know that we're the people of God if your presence doesn't dwell among us? How will they know? There are plenty of other answers that people could have given. They could have said, well, Moses, a few clues that we're God's people might be our miraculous deliverance from Egypt, the entire Egyptian army being drowned in the Reed Sea after we walked through miraculously on dry ground, or our prosperous growth as a people, God protecting us from our enemies, our Sabbath, which is a distinct concept, our feasts, which are different to the pagan nations, our prosperous flocks and herds. But Moses says, no. He says, no. Listen, forget all that stuff. At the end of the day, the thing that makes us God's people is God. It's God. It's his presence among us. Nobody else has that, and nobody else can have that. Would you make a note of this? The presence of God differentiates the people of God from the world. The presence of God differentiates the people of God from the world. There's so much more I could say about this. There's so much I could say about how Western churches try to attract people with community, music, nice buildings, seemingly oblivious to the fact that you don't have to go to church to find those things. The one thing the church has that nobody else has is Jesus. It's Jesus. So so if people come to our churches, let's make sure they experience the one thing they can experience nowhere else. Let's make sure that when people come to our churches, they experience Jesus. And I pray that as we grow as a church more and more and more, we would be known for God's presence being among us. And I believe we will be known for that because I believe that at Gospel City Church, the Lord is gathering a group of people who have a zeal for God's presence. I see it. I feel it. I experience it when we're together as the church. And I want you to know that I'm so blessed personally by our church's collective passion for Jesus. It ministers to me. It blesses me so much. So let's be a people of his presence, a people of his presence. Just one other quick note on these last few verses, if you didn't catch it, they really reinforce that Moses understood that the angel Yahweh was promising in his place was not Jesus. It makes it really clear. After hearing Moses' heart, verse 17 says, the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you've spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. God says, you want my presence to go with you, Moses? You got it. You got it. I'll go with you. Now, Moses can sense that he really does have the Lord's favor in this moment, especially in this moment of of, of friendship and intimacy between them. Moses is also very Jewish 
and he knows how to negotiate. And sensing a moment of opportunity, Moses says, one more thing, Lord, one more thing. Now, let me ask you this. If you had the Lord's ear, the Lord's heart, the Lord's favor, and and you could sense that in a moment you could ask for anything, and the Lord would probably give it to you, what would you ask for? If you want to understand what made Moses so special, why the Lord loved him so much, why the Lord listened when Moses prayed, Just listen to what Moses asks for in verse 18. And he said, please, show me your glory. Show me your glory, Lord. What I want, God, is as much of you as I can have. I'm not in this because of what you can do for me, Lord. I'm in this because I want you. You're the treasure. You're the prize I'm seeking. You're the reward I'm living for. It's you, God. Verse 19, then he, that's God, said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face. For no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. God says, Okay. I'll give you as much of me as you can take in your human form. You see, our flesh cannot see God in his his glorified state because we literally couldn't handle it. We'd be overwhelmed spiritually, emotionally, mentally. We'd be vaporized physically. This is one of the primary reasons we're going to need new bodies in eternity. Our current bodies just don't have the capacity to handle the unrestrained glory of God's presence. We need an upgrade. And my goodness, we're going to get one. The Bible declares that when we see Jesus, we will be made like him. We'll be made like him. Rather than you shall see my back, The Septuagint says, you will see what is behind me. That's a much better way of putting it. The idea is that Moses would see God's wake as you or I would see the wake left in the water by a boat even after it had turned the corner and disappeared around a bend. Now, what does God's wake look like to human eyes? There's only one man who knows, and I checked. He's not currently available for comment. All we can say is that this experience would have been, it would have been indescribable. Moses saw as much of the glory of God as is possible for a man to see in his earthly body. What a blessing for Moses. Verse 22 tells us that in order to see the wake of God's glory, the Lord hid Moses in the cleft of a rock. Now, who is our rock? It's Jesus. Sunday school answer, it's Jesus. 
In Psalm 62, it's on your outline, David wrote, Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. How is it that we will be able to spend eternity in the unfettered glory of God's presence? How is it that we can even have fellowship with God's spirit now as the church? Our brother Paul tells us in Colossians 3.3 where he writes, For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When we give our lives to Jesus, our, our sinful spirits die. They're put to death and we receive a new spirit from God, his spirit. That's what it means to be born again spiritually. And Paul says, not only do you have a new spirit, but your life is hidden in Christ as Moses was hidden in the cleft of the rock. And the picture is your life being surrounded by Jesus on every side. And now think about this. And all that you can see from this place where you are surrounded by the rock that is Jesus, the only place you can see out of that is where the glory of God is, and your view is becoming increasingly consumed by the glory of God. And that's what happens to us as believers. We get to grow more and more in our knowledge of the Lord. We get to see more and more of Jesus until we arrive in his presence and we get to see it all. Jesus is the rock in which we are hidden. The cleft of the rock is a place where a rock has been split, where it's been broken, and it provided a place of shelter for Moses. Our lives are hidden in Christ because he was broken for us. And when he was broken for us, he provided a place of shelter for us, a refuge for us. How can we know our salvation is secure? Because our lives are hidden in the rock that is our Savior, Jesus Christ, who was broken for us. And he himself declared, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Would you make a note of this? Our lives are hidden in Christ and our perspective is increasingly consumed by his glory. Our lives are hidden in Christ and our perspective is increasingly consumed by his glory. For those of you who've been with us for several of our studies through Exodus, let me ask you, who is Moses a type of? Who is he a picture of? Sunday school answer again. It's Jesus. With that in mind, don't miss the picture that Exodus 32 and 33 paint for us using this typology. When God's righteous wrath was ready to be poured out on Israel, who stood between God and man? Who mediated? Who interceded on the behalf of sinners? Moses. It's a picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross. We were fully deserving of God's wrath because like Israel, We also rejected God and rebelled against him. We've also worshiped and served idols and false gods, but the man, Christ Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, served us by offering himself as the one and only mediator between God and man. 
even though the only acceptable terms were his body, blood, and life. Hebrews 7 speaks to us of Jesus' ministry as our high priest, our mediator. It says, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he's also to save. He's also able to save to the uttermost. The actual term there is forever. So verse 25 should really read, therefore, because Jesus continues forever, he's also able to save forever those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The ministry of Jesus on your behalf is covering you even this very moment. For such a high priest was fitting for us. In other words, a high priest like Jesus is exactly what we needed, who's holy, harmless, that just means innocent, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For he, this, sorry, for this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Jesus is our mediator. Always, always. Now, did God relent and show Israel mercy because God was so impressed with Israel? Of course not. God relented and showed mercy to Israel because God was so impressed with Moses. And Moses interceded on Israel's behalf. Israel wasn't faithful. Moses was faithful. God is not all that impressed with you and me. I'm sorry if that's shocking news to you, but he is impressed with Jesus. And when we give our lives to Jesus, the Bible says Jesus robes us in his righteousness so that when the Father looks at you and I, he sees a man or woman who looks like Jesus. You see, Jesus has made us beautiful. Why did the Israelites have their sins forgiven? Why did they receive blessings from God instead of what they truly deserved? It was because Moses linked himself to them. Moses said, Lord, Lord I'm with Israel. I'm with them. And if you love me, you got to love them. If you want to bless me, you got to bless them. And that's what Jesus did for us. He, he linked himself to us. By becoming a man, he, he bound himself to us. He went through everything, the scourging, the beatings, the cross, the grave, and the resurrection on our behalf so that our fates could be intertwined and connected forever. And because we are linked to Jesus, when he was raised, we were raised to new life too. Israel was blessed because Israel was linked to Moses. We are blessed because we are linked to our greater than Moses, Jesus Christ. Can you imagine how wonderful it would have been to hear the Lord himself say, I will be with you? You don't have to imagine because the Lord has given you that same promise over and over again in his word. Do not fear the future. Do not fear the future. 
God has promised to be with you. And he's a God who always keeps his promises. I want to close by just reading some scriptures over you. And you don't need to turn to any of these places in your Bible. The references are on your outline, so you can look them up again later if you'd like to. I'm going to ask that you would just still your mind and your spirit as best you can. Feel free to close your eyes while I read. And just let God's word wash over you. Let it counsel you. Let it change your thinking as God's word fills you with his peace. Jesus said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Isaiah 41.10 declares God's heart toward his people, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalm 139 is famous, but let me read it for you. O Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You've hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness is not dark to you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It literally means I will praise you for you are fearfully wonderful. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Paul writes this in Romans 8. Who is he who condemns? So in other words, who's condemning you? Who's making you feel guilt and shame? It's not the Lord. Here's what the Lord is doing. It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. See, Jesus isn't condemning you. He's praying for you. He's the one interceding for you and covering your sin. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And who's going to separate you from God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? I mean, after all, it's written... 
For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. But, but, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What? Well, how are we conquerors if we're killed and persecuted and targeted by Satan every day? For I am persuaded that, here's why we're conquerors. Here's the victory. Here's why we win, no matter what. It's because neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We win. We win. Because no matter what, We have Jesus. We have God's presence with us, and he'll never leave us. So don't worry that the Lord will not be with you. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on Jesus. And Jesus said, do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If this whole thing rests on the issue of whether we can stay faithful to the Lord, then we have every reason to worry. (laughs) We have every reason to be afraid. But it doesn't. This whole thing, our life here on earth and our eternity, rests on Jesus and his faithfulness, his righteousness, his goodness. I'm so thankful for that. You will fail. I will fail. But the Lord never will. So aren't you glad that you're in his hands? I know I am. Let's pray. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, thank you for your presence through your spirit among us right now. Thank you for your presence among your people, and thank you for your presence within us individually. Thank you that your word is filled with promise after promise that you'll never leave us and command after command to therefore not be afraid of anything ever. And so in the name of Jesus right now, Lord, we just want to release any trace of fear or doubt or anxiety about the future because such fears are not fitting for people who have the presence of God, which we do. So Lord, forgive us for our insecurities and help us not to be afraid. Help our perspective to be consumed with you, with your glory, so that it's all we see, so that it's all we think about, especially as we look into the future, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the promises of your word, and thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that we can depend on you. Hey, thanks for being with us for this study. Before you go, I want to share just a few quick things with you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to mynewhope.ca gospel right now. 
you'll find a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing. So go to mynewhope.ca slash gospel right now to learn more about Jesus. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through his word. If you'd like to support the Bible teaching ministry of Gospel City through financial giving, you can do so by going to mynewhope.ca slash give. And finally, I want to invite you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for updates and encouragements throughout the week. And you can find all those links in the top right corner of our website. We love you, Uppercase C Church. Be blessed. <laughs>